Uh, it's great to it's great to listen to you guys and to be able to sing along and uh, to to be down here in the front and to have all those voices coming in in this direction. It's really it's really awesome. So um, thanks so much for encouraging me and for those who are around you and the way that you have been praising God and. Uh, it's great to have all of our uh, first, second, and third graders be able to be recognized and receive the Bible this morning, and I know Kids Praise is going to be um, awesome for them. Thank you for the rest of you for staying for Big Kids Praise. We appreciate you that. You know, after Whitney says, hey, I've got all this energy, and I'm excited, and everybody needs to come, I was afraid that some of you might go on. But thank you for staying for Big Kids Praise. We really appreciate it. You know, one Sunday morning, a well-meaning church member caught the preacher out in the lobby and proceeded to tell him all that was wrong with that morning's message. And she didn't spare his feelings at all, and she covered everything from the introduction to all the points to the conclusion. And when she had finished her critique, the preacher felt pretty low. So, so he, he called up one of the leaders there in the church, one of the elders, and he hoped to receive some type of encouragement. And after he relayed the, the other church members' thoughts, the well, the elder just laughed and told him and said, oh, don't worry about her. She just, she just repeats what she hears other people saying. <laughs> you know, I don't know when it became the in vogue thing. I don't know when critiquing our time together became, became so popular. You know, today, human evaluation of Sunday assemblies often takes place around the Sunday dinner table as Participants critique the sermon or the singing or the prayers or all the other activities in the assembly. You hear things like, well, how was the worship service today? Did it start on time? What time was it over? How did the praise team do? Did they sing new songs? Did they sing old songs? What did the preacher have to say today? Was he too funny? Was he too serious? How long did he talk? What do you talk about? What do you wear? Who was there today? Who was not there? How many were there? Who talked to you when you were there? Who ignored you when you were there? Was it traditional? Was it contemporary? Was it blended? How did it make you feel? All of these different questions and, and all these conversations go on around lunch tables and in dinner tables uh, uh, across across the spectrum of every different religious group. Monday morning quarterbacks have nothing on Sunday afternoon worshipers. All the focus on our meetings is, all this focus is really strange considering how little attention Scripture gives to the early Christian worship services. In fact, nowhere in Scripture do you actually find that phrase, worship service. But, Scripture gives a great deal of attention to the worshiper's service. The question that we find God asking in Scripture is not, is not how is the worship service, but how is the service of the worshipers? Service is not a ministry of the church. Service is the worship of the church. And so because of this, it's why at EB, worship is a lifestyle and not an event. Guys, today is week three in a teaching series designed to, to share some important principles that serve as guide rails for everything that we do here at East Brainerd. 
We've already shared with you how that we strive to have Jesus Christ and his love at the center of, of everything that we do. It's the why behind everything that goes on here within our spiritual community. It's the why behind our, our ministries. It's the why behind our gatherings. It's the why behind our conversations. We want our friends and we want our families and we want our neighborhoods and, and we want our church to move closer to a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've also shared with you over the last week or so how that at EB we believe that we are better together. God never intended his people to be alone. We were made and created for relationship, and it is within Christ-centered relationships that we find healing for our soul. And I really appreciate the feedback that I've received from, from many of you as we have been sharing this series together. And I hope that you are repeating what you hear others say. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for the encouragement and, and, and for the way in which you have expressed your comments to me. And I also want to say thanks to those of you who have let us know over the last couple of weeks that you would like to be part of, of our church family here. It's exciting to have you here at EB. And so what we want to do today is just talk about just another kind of another one of those guide rail principles that, that we strive at least to base our, our life on here as a church family. And that's the fact that worship is worship's a lifestyle. So let's begin with an Old Testament account. Now, if you've got um, one of your Bibles that maybe you got in the first grade, right? Vacation Bible School. Remember when you used to get Bibles at VBS? Whoever brought the most, right? Now, you might not have wanted the Bible. You just wanted to win. And so you would load up every child in the neighborhood, pack them into your mom's minivan, and bring them to Vacation Bible School because you just wanted to win. Or maybe you want a Bible. And maybe that Bible has carried you through a lot of things in life. And maybe it was that Bible that first sparked a love for God. Maybe it was that Bible that first began to give you direction in the way that you would follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You might not have that first Bible with you anymore, but the, the memory of that first time in God's Word, the, the memory that you share there has helped make you who you are today. So whether you have that first Bible or you just take out your phone, pull up Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. I've listened to many Christian criticizers during my years in ministry, but nothing compares to God's critique recorded in Amos. He says to his people, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. God's description of Israelite worship covers the entire spectrum. He references their, the time, the, the words, the sacrifices, the music. He doesn't omit any part of their assembly. And guess what? After he reviews it, he doesn't like any of it. He doesn't like how it smells. He doesn't like how it looks or how it sounds. And the heavenly response to the Israelite worship was complete. I don't like anything you do. And I don't want to hear anything that you say. Now, if you've never seen this particular passage in your Old Testament Bibles before, 
You might wonder why God was so angry with the Israelite worship. Had they neglected some important ritual? Had they added to or taken away from some holy command? Well, in actuality, as you read the context surrounding what's said there in Amos chapter 5, it had nothing to do with what was taking place inside their church building, but everything to do with how they lived outside of it. See, God was angry because they had isolated themselves from the poor. He objected to their seeking other gods. He was incensed that they abused and cheated other people. He hated the way that they ignored his commandments. And instead of their outward show of ceremony, God called the Israelites to participate in justice and righteousness. And now, these are two concepts, justice and righteousness, that appear together in the Hebrew Bible 98 times. Justice emphasizes fairness. It emphasizes equality. And righteousness, well, it stresses kindness and generosity. And each of these are qualities of God. And so it makes sense that the people whose focus is to be on God should have the righteousness of God. He expects them to take on those same qualities and that his justice and that his righteousness should be seen amongst his people. And so prophets such as Isaiah and Hosea Amos and Micah tell us how God's people filled his temple with sounds of sacrifice sheep and holy feast and heartfelt praise, but God wasn't listening. He wasn't listening because instead of their praise, God says that he heard the cries of the fatherless child. Instead of their prayers, he listened to the anguish of the oppressed underclass. Instead of hearing the the woman in the temple with hands held high, he heard the woman in poverty with head bowed low. That's what he was hearing. That's what was coming to his ears. And he was hearing these things because his people were not living a life of justice and righteousness. And so there, in that Old Testament, in those scriptures, in 1 Samuel 15 and Isaiah chapter 1 and Micah 6 and Hosea 6 and then on into your New Testament in Matthew 5 and 1 John 3 and 4, they all echo back the sentiments of Amos where it talks about a fundamental biblical concern, the link, the link between service to others and worship. And what you begin to find is that if the worshipers have no concern for the issues or the people that matter to God, then God will not hear their praise. Scripture makes it clear that it's the heart, at the heart of the worship, at the heart of the worship there lies a service to others and glory expressed to God. It's why the Apostle Paul would write to Christians and say, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and this is your proper worship. Now perhaps your religious background is one that that has placed great emphasis on a weekly gathering such as the one that we are a part of today. And maybe you're reminded regularly not to forsake the assembly. And while you were also encouraged to serve God daily, there was an implied inference that one day well, it was more important than all the other days. And what mattered above all else was getting that one day of worship right. Now look, if that has been your experience, you need to understand that you're not alone. Because many followers of Jesus have been raised to believe that, that worship is an event to attend instead of a life to be lived. 
And so we've grown accustomed to this idea that the only time that I am worshiping God is when I'm here and, and when I'm in this building. And the only time I praise God is when I'm singing at church or praying at church or reading my Bible at church. The only time that I am holy before God is when I am at church. And so what happens? What happens when we begin to take on that type of mindset? Well, the only time I sing praises to my God is when I'm at church. The only time I really pray is when I'm at church. The only time I read my Bible, yeah, it's at church. The only time I'm holy, that's at church too. And the rest of the time, Monday through Saturday, well, I live a life that is at worst, or at worst disobedient to God, and at best just disconnected from Him. Guys, regulating worship to one hour per week allows me, whether it be consciously or unconsciously, to leave God in the church building locked away and out of sight and out of mind. And guys, if we're not careful, we allow the Sunday event to become the essence of our Christianity. And when that happens, when that happens, we become overly critical of our time together. And we become overly protective of our favorite style of worship. And our pride begins to tell us. Our pride begins to say, you know what, it's okay if I don't take on the character and the mission of God Monday through Saturday because I came to a worship service on Sunday. So it's okay. So here's what I want us to look at here just for a few minutes. How can we keep from allowing worship to become a one-day-only event? Well, the first thing I think we need to do, I think Scripture shows that praise and service must be kept on the right side of grace. We need to remember and we need to maybe understand for the first time that we do not come together to celebrate God's goodness in order to be saved. Or we do not serve others in order to be saved. Both our praise and service are responses to the mercies of God. We celebrate together because we are saved. It's not to stay saved. That's not the point of our time coming together. We attempt to live as Christ because of God's mercy in our lives. And salvation comes by the mercy of God, not because we participate in God's crusade for righteousness and justice. But righteousness and justice, those things are our response to God's salvation because of the righteousness that He has given to us. He expects that kind of obedience. He expects that kind of praise because of the grace and because of the transformation that that grace has brought in our lives. If you have, if you have lived life feeling that the event is what defines your Christianity, if, if the event is what makes you or keeps you right with God, well, firstly, I want, to, I want to tell you, thank you for your desire to be pleasing to God. Thank you for your desire to want to have him first and, and to keep him on the pedestal and keep him as the focus of your life. But secondly, I want to, to nudge you a little bit closer to grace. A little bit closer to grace where you can come to see that it is not about the time that you spend here. 
but about the time that Jesus spent on the cross that makes things right with God. Secondly, let's pay attention to the biblical teaching on ethical behavior. Since God has made his ethical concerns clear, we cannot plead ignorance. In your Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah wrote, Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. God commands throughout scripture. He continually commands this idea of the focus on the other. And these commands cannot be missed or ignored. James wrote in your New Testament, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, and then to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In response to God's grace, we are expected to take up God's agenda for our lives. All through the Hebrew Scriptures, the writers talk about the inevitability of justice and righteousness. They say, it will triumph. And to block either is to oppose God himself. You see, followers of God do not bring about justice and righteousness. They only choose whether or not they will wade out into the stream of what God is already doing. God's rejection of worship assemblies is directed at those who completely ignore his ethical expectations. And we cannot ignore these demands any more than we can neglect the text about the praises that we are to offer to God. God has linked the two, and he refuses to listen to the praise of people who refuse to listen to his commands. Or simply put, our praise today, our praise today is rejected if we have no intention with pleasing him tomorrow. I want you to think about that. The, the songs that you have been singing, the, the time that we have been spent spending focusing on, on God and thinking about the sacrifice of Christ, if we have no intention of pleasing God tomorrow, why do we think that God is going to hear that praise today? You see, we worship a God who not only listens to our praise, but who also watches our practice. And so that brings me to the third thing I think we need to focus on in order to keep the event in its proper place. And that's the, that we need to call on God's power of transformation. We need to embrace it. See, the ultimate intent of Scripture is not to shame us, but to inspire us. While an individual or spiritual community often takes specific times, just like we're doing this morning, to focus more directly on God, Scripture informs us that the Christian is to offer the entirety of his or her life in service to God. That's the importance of Romans 12 and, and other passages where there is a demand that is placed on our lives to, to offer them as living sacrifices, which then becomes our spiritual service or worship. And so we demonstrate our submission by serving God obediently. And we understand, right? We, we understand that, that offering food at a soup kitchen, well, that differs. That looks different. It sounds different. It, it's a different thing altogether from the praise that we offer on Sundays. But Christians seek to glorify God in both types of service. See, theologically, I think a link exists between the praise God receives from us from what we do and the praise God receives from what we sing. We honor God by the words of our prayers and we honor God by the works of our hands. We remember God by partaking in the Lord's Supper and, and also we remember God by the, by the way that we remember his special people, the weak, the needy, the harassed, and the helpless. 
You see, each and every day, we are invited to participate continually in worshipful service. We have an opportunity to continually serve others in the name of Christ. And through doing so, we are showing all that we are worshipers of the Almighty God. And so you know what? If you're, if you're at home, if you're married, worship God by serving your spouse. If you're not married, serve your roommate, serve your parents. Be a servant to your children. Not because they have earned it, not because they deserve your service, but because Christ continually serves you. And in your neighborhood, man, you can worship God by doing something as simple as pulling up your neighbor's trash can or, or taking care of their yard while they're out of town. You declare yourself available for any and everything that they need. Power tools, garden hoses, sugar, paint, shovel, lemonade on a hot day. If they need it, you got it. Why? Because you are worshiping God. And then that worship begins to expand out, not just from your neighbors or even to your neighborhood, but you begin to realize those that don't live where you live, who don't drive what you drive, who don't work where, where, where you work, who don't go to the same schools that you go to, who don't have the things that you have, and you realize that your worship to God is expressed not just by helping those who look like you, but your worship is expressed by serving those who couldn't be any more different than you but who are in need of the justice and the righteousness of God. When you're at work, you worship God upward and downward and laterally. You, you, you worship God upward by constantly working hard, knowing, knowing that your ultimate work is for the Lord and not for anybody else. You know, Christians should be the best employees. I mean, bosses should love it when they hire followers of Jesus. I mean, they should be so excited to know that they've got a Christ follower that is going to be there working and doing the job that they have asked. If you're a supervisor, how do you worship? Well, you, you make sure that you have the opportunity to, to offer to serve those who are underneath you and those that you are um, tasked with overseeing. You're treating your employees well and fairly. You're calling out their best and you're remarking on their gifts. The majority of us have the opportunity that we just serve laterally. We assist colleagues who work alongside of us. We take care of our responsibilities. We pull our weight, refusing to make others pick up our slack. Did you know that there's something going on these days in the workplace that's called the people are silent quitting? Have you heard about this? See, there are those who are uh, going through this great resignation. And there are a lot of people who are leaving their jobs for greener pastures. But there are some people who have decided to stay on their job, but they're just not going to work at 100% level. They're only going to do the minimal just to be able to keep their job. They are silently quitting. Apparently like Auburn's coaching staff. I, I think that's what's happening. And that's what's happening there. But that's another story altogether. But look, that is not to be the way the child of God goes through life. Silently quitting at work, silently quitting in the neighborhood, silently quitting at home. See, you, you can't silently quit God. We are expected to be worshipers at all times and in all places, even when we're here at church. Worship God by serving those with whom you have brought your worship. We have all come together as worshipers. We have come to this place to offer up our praise to God. We have come together worshiping. And according to Paul in Romans chapter 12, each member of this church body belongs to every other member. 
and we should each use our gifts to serve one another. But sadly, the most selfish hour in many of a Christian's life is during the weekly church assembly, where each comes wanting to be filled, but refusing to feed the other. So let's be worshipers not just outside the walls, but let's be worshipers inside and recognize the responsibility that we also have to one another. And look, I want you to notice that all of these examples of worship are independent of any type of church ministry. See, one of the byproducts of our church organization is the belief that service must be connected somehow to a church ministry. But service is not a ministry of the church. Service is the worship of the church. So we don't have to wait until there's some, quote, mission trip to another country or to another area in order to renovate a dilapidated home. We don't have to wait until Watts rolls around on the calendar again to be a sermon to our community. God's people don't have to wait to, to organize avenues of, of service and avenues of help and healing within the community. God's people are to daily participate in impromptu and individual and specific avenues of justice and righteousness. And when we do these things, we worship. We worship in the classroom teaching geometry to the girl that, that doesn't have a friend. We worship in the grocery store purchasing food for a family of five that can barely feed one. We worship in the hospital waiting room when just our presence says, I love you and, and you're not alone. We worship when we speak up for the stranger in our midst. We worship when we speak out against injustice in our cities. We worship we worship in our elderly parents' bedroom, caring for them like they once cared for us. We worship each and every day in big and in small ways. Anytime we, we rise up from the dinner table and we do just what needs to be done. Yesterday, many of you joined with the Schultz family to celebrate the life of Miss Mary Beth. And um, when everything was concluded, it was a beautiful time of, of praise. When everything was um, concluded, Albert uh, said there was one story that was not shared during the service, and it was the fact that there was a time a few years ago that Mary Beth had car trouble, and so she went to the mechanic to get it worked on, and, and while she was there, she ran across an elderly couple that had broken down and were not from here. And so they stayed with the Schultz family for three days. Why? Because Mary Beth was a worshiper of God. A worshiper. And you guys have done similar things. Well, we could talk about story after story uh, of how you have involved yourself in the lives of, of others, how you have sought to bring the kingdom ethic of God into the world. I just wanted to be able to bring up this morning as a reminder that this and what we're doing right here is not the, the end all for your Christian faith. This is what should energize you, and this time is what should inspire you. It's what should encourage you to go out and worship God 24-7 outside of these walls and apart from this campus. And so I want to do something this, this morning similar to what we've done in past weeks, but I want to invite you to worship with us here at EB. Now, I'm not just talking about attending a weekly event here on our campus. I'm talking about joining us in a lifestyle of worshipful service. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had a dozen families go to our website, eastbrainerchurch.org, and you've clicked the next steps in the lower left-hand corner, and then 
and then you've clicked on join the EB family. And guys, we would love for you to do that today if that's not something that you have, that you have done already. We would like for you to let us know that besides worshiping at home and in your neighborhood and, and worshiping at school or at work, that, that you also plan on worshiping here, here at EB. And, and when individuals come in, and, and we have people who come to be a part of our church family at different times and, and through different seasons of life, we hope that the time that, that you spend here is a time where, where you are being transformed and being prepared, hopefully, to be sent out. Because we know that we live in a transient society, and not everybody's able to stay here. We've got, you know, college seniors um, who are getting ready to graduate and, and head off, and some of you are looking at different job opportunities, and you're going to be, you know, leaving us. And just as new families come in, families who have been with us for a long time end up leaving. But our desire is that while you are here, you learn more about what it means to be a true worshiper of God. That's what I hope, Emily, you have learned while you've been here. Emily Tompkins is leaving us. She's part of our um, YAC community, and she's going to be getting closer to home. She's an ER nurse, so if, if you've been in the ER recently while you've been here in Chattanooga, you might have seen Emily. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but she's going to be uh, getting uh, closer to home there in Middle Tennessee. She's not going to, to be with us anymore. But I saw Emily at the softball game the other night, and Emily, you shared, and I, I, now you're smiling and embarrassed. Sorry about that. But, um, but one thing you said about getting back to family, you said that you stayed here longer than really that you expected to, and it was because of this church family. And so I'm thankful that you've been a part here and been able to build relationships and been able to hopefully grow more in your worship. And so here's what we're doing. We are sending you off. We're sending you back to your parents, okay? Sending you back, back uh, close to home, but we are sending you back to be a great ambassador for Jesus and to be a true worshiper of God. And we hope that your time here has, um, has helped in that. So Godspeed to you, and we look forward to when you're able to come back and to, be, and to be with us again. Guys, if you are new to our church family, go ahead. Go to our website, click Next Steps, hit Join EV. Say you want to get involved, let us know. You'd like to get connected. Maybe you have a prayer request, or maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ because of your belief that Jesus is truly the Son of God, and you want to be a lifelong worshiper. We want you to make worship your lifestyle. We want to worship together with you, displaying God's kingdom ethic everywhere that we go. You see, I want to really give people something to talk about. When people talk about the worship that takes place at East Brainerd, I want them to talk. And I want them to talk about how that the people of East Brainerd are worshiping God Sunday to Sunday. And how they're impacting the community that is around us. And how that we are doing all that we can in whatever way to bring others into a life-restoring relationship to Jesus Christ because he is the center of everything that we do. Will you stand and give God praise with me this morning?